World War II. It's known as the greatest generation. And these are their stories. It's the World War II Project. This is the Americhicks with your host, Kim Munson. Welcome to the Americhicks World War II Project with Kim Munson. Tomorrow is Memorial Day. And Memorial Day is much more than mattress sales and barbecues and car deals. It's a day that we stop and reflect about those that have been willing to give the last full measure of devotion. They've given time, treasure, and blood to make sure that each of us can think about barbecues and car deals and mattress sales. And so this Memorial Day, let's all stop and reflect about all of those men and women that stepped up and did their duty and realize that we too have a responsibility to the generations before us and to the generations after us that we stand for freedom and that we pass something good on to the next generation. We are absolutely thrilled to have on the line with us today Gordon Whitlow. He is a World War II veteran. He served in the Merchant Marine. And uh, it's great to have you with us, Gordon. How are you doing today? Oh, fine, thank you. Well, great. And uh, this show precipitated from a trip that I took with a group that took four D-Day veterans back to Normandy for the D-Day celebration uh, back in 2016. And returning to America, we realized how important it is to capture these stories. Each uh, each of these guys has their own individual story, and uh, it's so important that we learn from them and hear them. So, uh, Gordon, it is just great to get to talk to you today. Thank you. Okay, so let's go ahead and let's kind of start at the beginning. Uh, first of all, I'm going to ask your age. How old are you, Gordon? I'm 91. 91 years old. And when did you go into the service? I went into the Merchant Marines in 1944. Okay. How old were you then? 15. That's what I was thinking, because you're pretty pretty young for a World War II veteran. So you went into the Merchant Marine at 15 years old. How, how were you able to get in at that age? Well, there was no restriction on the age limit. And uh, it's time just before the war ended. And then, of course, no one knew that the war was going to end at that time. They put out a call. There was a lot of our servicemen locked on to the, from the island over in the South Pacific. Mm-hmm. They couldn't get off. They really had to survive. was to survive however way they could. So they... The war department put out a call for help, and I felt a patriotic duty somehow to do my duty and do what I could. So I volunteered for the Merchant Marine. Uh, at that time, it was a maritime service, and they to Catalina Island, California, for training. Were you the youngest in your whole group there? Well, probably... There were several of us uh, of that age. When you, were you afraid at all? Uh, you're just a 15 year old kid. Were you afraid at all? I I wasn't afraid uh, for myself being harmed. I was afraid for the bed or working on the islands in the military, defending our country. Okay. So let's back up just a little bit. You were very young then in 1941 
when Pearl Harbor was bombed. Do you happen to remember where you were at that time? I was in Portland, Oregon. I was living on my own in a dog and cat hospital. Yeah, as a citizen veterinarian. That's one of the jobs I was doing then. No one wanted to hire a kid to do a man's job. And so that's one of the jobs I was doing is taking care of animals. Okay. And then and my off time, I was working in a, a truck tire shop, changing truck tires on logging trucks. Okay, now I'm trying to think about, uh, you probably were then at that age, probably 12 years old when you were doing all that, right? So you're taking care of animals and you're work, working in a truck tire shop in 1941. So you're probably 12 years old would be my guess. No, no, I was probably 13 or 14. Oh, 13 or 14. Okay. You're still a kid. Still just a kid. What went through your mind when you heard that Pearl Harbor had been bombed? Well, it's pretty kind of shattered me. Um, I was living in uh, Newburgh, Oregon at that time. And uh, what was the bowling alley? It was on a Sunday, I recall. And uh, they were going up and down the street with a big speaker system on a car. It said, the Pearl Harbor has been bombed, and uh, everybody... We need their help to defend our country. Do what you can. And uh, all kinds of us kids grabbed a pitchfork or axe handle or axe. Some of us had guns. Some of us had ammunition. Some of us didn't have ammunition. We all went up to the bowling alley, assembled there. We're going to the coast to get out of the ship do it to defend our country. Now, and you were just young kids. Um, yes. So you were on the West Coast. There were there was a real concern that the Japanese might try to attack on the West Coast, correct? That's correct. And actually, most people might not know this, but there was one bomb dropped on the state of Oregon along the coastline by a Japanese aircraft. I, I never knew that. It is in, in the history of animals. Huh. That is fascinating. Okay, so um, then you are, what happens between 1941 and 1944, um, between Pearl Harbor being bombed and between the time that then you um, became, you know, part of the Merchant Marine or the Maritime. Uh, let's see, what did we say? It was the Maritime. i got to look at my notes here. But anyway, when you became part of the Merchant Marines, um, Maritime Service, there we go. Uh, what happened during those few years in your life, Gordon? Well, in those years, uh, I, we just come out, moved out from South Dakota in 1939 to live here. Uh, came to Oregon the first time in 1935 and went back to South Dakota. And my dad sold the uh, house that we had. And then the mother and sisters, two of brothers, uh, drove a 1925 Dodge car 
from or from South Dakota to Oregon. Okay. And we moved out here. Dad sold the farm or the house we had. I lived in uh, places by folks were caretakers of. Okay, they were caretakers. Okay, and so and what town was it that you grew up in in Oregon then, Gordon? From nineteen thirty nine after that. So let's let's move to nineteen forty four now. Um, you your understanding is is that they needed guys to help get the the soldiers back out of the South Pacific. Am I correct on that? Yes, um, I went in the, the maritime service. I volunteered in the maritime service to go to Catalina Island to date to train uh, for twenty millimeters and fifty millimeters. 50, 50 caliber. Okay, 50 caliber. They're okay. seeing board ships. Okay, so uh, after your training at Catalina Island, what happened after that, Gordon Whitlow? Well, we, we loaded the ships with ammunition and food supplies. Uh, there was one particular ship one year in the South Pacific. All I knew is goods to a servicemen. Okay. Uh, we would pass Honolulu okay. uh, on over to Okinawa and we talk the attitude uh, uh, not the attitude the attitude down into the Philippines. Okay. Uh, if I may add, the, the first ship that I was on the first ship I was assigned to was the WSC Gorgas. It was a coal burner converted and hauled troops. We hauled troops from Seattle uh, on up into Alaska, Atu and Kiska, mm-hmm. the Kodiak Islands. Their job was to defend the area of land that was only nine miles from Russia. Okay, and so the first thing you did then is uh, the Aleutian Islands, you said. Is that correct? The first thing in South Pacific okay. was to leave the ammunition on the big ships, and they pull alongside some of the ships, and they offload the ammunition on the big ships okay. and food supplies. Okay, okay. So uh, let's then let's talk about the South Pacific a little bit. Uh, so this is later on in the war. Um, what did you see with the soldiers that were coming on board as you were doing troop transports? What uh, is there anything that stands out to you uh, with the guys that had been in battle? Some of them had been there for the duration of the war, from really the beginning and the end for the, some of them. Some of them have been through a lot of hell and battle, and some of them we were transported to a hospital ship. Did you, what went through your mind? I mean, was it just that you had a duty and it was a job that you were doing? I mean, did you think about each individual soldier, or was it that you guys were so busy you just had a job to do and you just got it done? Well, that was the main thing, is that we... But there, the war wasn't over yet. There's 
no fighting, a lot of fighting going on in the islands. And my job, I felt, was to do my job and not complain about it. If anything happened to me, so what? And what were your responsibilities on ship, Gordon Whitlow? I worked in the engine department. Oh, my gosh. Uh, engine running. Okay. Um, an engine department on a ship uh, in the South Pacific. Uh, describe for us what that was like. I've got to think it was pretty um, pretty hot. Yes, it was. It was very hot at times. Uh, it was scary at times. We'd come up off our Hornet 12 ship, and... Uh, We'd sit on a fantail of the ship and see it in the distance, fire going on. You see it in the sky, explosions from some of, this, some of the islands. And describe for our, our listeners just what it was like in the engine room. I actually uh, had been out in San Diego and had to, toured some of the ships that they have there. And just how big... The equipment is, and the responsibility of getting everything to work. I mean, it looked to me like really dangerous work. Well, in the engine department, you seldom knew what was going on on deck or above deck. At times, we were being chased by uh, Japanese submarines. We were never fired on. We were never sunk or anything like that. But uh, the danger was still there. We didn't know anything about it. We were just busy doing our job. Okay, and how did you get communications from the captain? How did you get your orders on what to do? All the orders came through the captains. They'd uh, be radioed in for our next next move. What we were to we were in a convoy. It went uh, from some of the islands north of the uh, equator to uh, the Philippines. And uh, the ship I was on was an oil burner. Most of the ships were. Some of them were reciprocating engines, like car engines would be. And others were turbine engines that we maintained to keep running. And how many hours did you work? Uh, so you were on for how many hours, and then how many hours did you have off? Well, we had four hours on and eight hours off. Okay. And doing our duties, whatever it happened to be, what we were directed to do. Okay. Okay. Okay, and Gordon Whitlow, we're going to go to break. Uh, before we do that, just a shout-out to one of my uh, sponsors, and that is Hooters Restaurants. It's a great time to be watching sports, and uh, Hooters Restaurants is my uh, sports headquarters. Wednesday is Wing Day. All the wings you can eat for fourteen ninety nine. Those smoked wings are delicious. They're only half the calories, and Hooters wings can fly. You can actually have them delivered to your front door. When I have my girlfriends over on Wednesday nights, that's what we do. And so you can have uh, Hooters wings delivered to your door. You can stop by and pick them up and take them home. Or, of course, you can watch the games at Hooters Restaurants. So for more information, visit uh, HootersRestaurants.com. That's HootersRestaurants.com. Let them know that you know the Americhicks. This is Kim Munson with my World War II project. We are talking with World War II veteran Gordon Whitlow, and we will be right back. 
Okay, welcome back to the AmeriChicks World War II Project with Kim Munson. Uh, we are thrilled to be talking with World War II veteran Gordon Whitlow. He was 15 years old when he went into the Merchant Marine, the Maritime Service, and uh, served in the South Pacific as well as the, in the Aleutian Islands. And uh, it's just amazing to me, Gordon Whitlow, that you were 15 years old when you felt the duty to serve, and uh, you stepped up and did that. Well, I thank you very much, and I, I don't know how or why I was involved in all this, but I felt the allegiance to my country. I was any concern to myself any result of the war. What happened to me it didn't make any difference. The poor guys in the war defending our country. Defending our country, for sure. Now, um, were there any, did you have any other siblings that served, or did you, you mentioned your sisters. Did you only have sisters? Uh, yes, I had four sisters and five brothers. Did any of your other brothers serve in the war? My older brother, Bill, volunteered for the Navy, and uh, I don't know what the circumstances were that my Next older brother, Ray, Raymond, he was in the Army, and he was over in Europe. I, I don't know what his active duty was at that time or not. Okay. And what about your mom, having uh, three boys off to war? Uh, did you ever think about what she was going through? Well... No, I didn't. Uh, mother and dad is the last stages of the war. And even after the war, they were still building ships. My mother and dad both worked in a shipyard in Portland, Oregon, um, doing whatever jobs they were assigned to do. Okay. Now let's go back to the South Pacific. You said that uh, after your training at Catalina Island, that you went to the South Pacific and you were helping get uh, soldiers back. So, you know, first of all, what kind of a, a boat were you on? What was what ship were you on? I was on a Victory ship, they call them. Okay. I had a turbine engine, oil fired, boilers. It Did- was about approximately. I don't recall exactly the numbers. Not one of my interests okay. at that time. But it was like 300 feet long, as I recall. Okay. Still a whole ship. Now, did you have to retrofit the ship for the troops? Like, did you have to put bunks in? and uh, Or how did, I mean, where did the guys sleep after you picked them up? Well, we had some, some of the areas in the holds that they utilized for sleeping quarters for some of the guys. We didn't haul a lot of the troops uh, over there. Mostly it was uh, food supplies and mostly it was ammunition. With those ammunition in Oregon, there several places along the coast there where they had floating uh, depots. Okay. Where the Marines would come on board and load the ships, we'd carry this ammunition to the South Pacific okay. and offload over there. How, were you ever near a battle? 
I suppose we were near a battle or we were never in a battle. Uh, I was in a convoy of uh, a couple hundred ships or more, and some of the ships on the tail end of that convoy were torpedoed, two of them, to be exact. We never knew about it until later when we were informed that some of the ships were attacked and destroyed. Okay. And was that the only time? Yes. Well, no. When we got to the Philippines, we are allowed to go aboard the land there to attack Loban and a small beach, small bay, and uh, we would walk into town two or three miles and uh, just look around and see what was going on. And we were fired on one time when we walked up and down that road. But then the Philippine boys protected us and uh, got us out of the way. Okay. Uh, anything else that uh, you'd like to share about the South Pacific? Are there any personal stories, uh, any soldiers you talked to, or is there any other stories that you'd like to share about that, Gordon? Well, we did fall into a couple of islands at Ulithi Bay there where we transfer our ammunition loads. And... Uh, Apparently, many sub Japanese submarines followed one of the ships in under the belly of the ship and laid it in the bottom of the bay there for several days and came up one night and blew up two of the big barges loaded with ammunition. There's quite a, a lot of noise and a lot of firing going on there. I imagine. But we didn't get, we were not fired on or we were hit or anything like that. Okay. There was a lot of activity going on in the bay. Okay. What about colleagues? Did you have uh, friends that you developed, lifelong friendships that you developed with guys that you served with? Well, schooling and education was one of my shortcomings. Uh, I didn't really complete the eighth grade when I was in the service. I was busy working all the time. I never did get to college. Uh, my brother Ray put himself with college in the ministry. And uh, my older sister, brothers, then got to high school. But I don't know if college. Okay. Um, so anything else in the South Pacific? I mean, I, I think it's important that our listeners understand your responsibilities in the engine room. Uh, it was sweltering hot, and there was uh, really big equipment that you guys had to make sure, you know, was operating properly. What was a normal day like for you? Uh, in the engine room uh, when you guys were, you know, doing your transports? Well, my job was very menial. Uh, what they call a, a wiper, which is a kind of on the maintenance 
uh, crew, keeping the engines clean, keeping them running, helping the mechanics, the engineers, the junior engineers, the firemen, the oilmen, the water tenders. Uh, if one of them gets sick or something, we'd fill in for them. As far as uh, the duties go, we'd keep the floors swept and the engines clean. And what, when you weren't in the engine room, what was your day like? In the engine room was two banks of four boilers each facing each other. And uh, there were oil fires, like I mentioned. The oilers would maintain the the bearings and uh, other parts of the engine. The water tenders made sure there was adequate water in the boilers to generate steam, make the engines run. And this was in addition to the four hours that you were considered to be on? This is some of the other responsibilities that you had? In addition to, yes, we had a variety of duties, working duties that we had to do. Okay. Um, just keep everything in shape, like the janitor would be. Okay, okay. Now, how was uh, another thing, food and rest? What did that look like on uh, this uh, particular ship? Was the food good, and, and uh, what was the bunk situation? Well, they have uh, one bay, a uh, big room-like, where the crew would sleep. Uh, we slept uh, probably four people in a room, uh, and a sack four high from the floor up. And how was the food? Well, the food was uh, as good as it could be. <laughs> We'd pick up fresh supplies, what we call fresh supplies. When we go into these little outposts, deposits, some of our ammunition loads off other big ships. I was going to tell you a little story here, but it's my mind. You know, that happens to me all the time. So when, when it comes back, we definitely want to hear that story, Gordon. <laughs> um, we were talking a little bit about the food and just what a day would look like. So you'd have four hours that you would be, you know, really, I think, working the engines from what I can can understand. And then you also, you know, had other responsibilities on the maintenance and different things in the engine room. So is there anything else you want to tell us about the South Pacific uh, regarding the troops or uh, MacArthur or anything else about the Philippines or the South Pacific? Well, we, we thought all the time when the baker was, Fixing our the bread and the food that we eat, we thought they were having nuts in our bread. Well, it happened to turn out to be weevils, so we had a lot of weevil eating, yeah. and uh, a lot of the food was the freshest. But the food that we had, we had other places uh, and. Uh, and uh, we would pick up some fresh foods. Like in the Philippines, we'd pick up coconuts and things like that. Okay. Okay. And what did you think of MacArthur, of General MacArthur? Do you have an opinion on him? Well, not a whole lot. Uh, 
politics and what was going on outside of our little area was of much for concern or just doing our job, getting our duty taken care of. And as long as we were still afloat. It was a successful uh, day, huh? <laughs> we were doing good. Okay. Uh, now, you mentioned Okinawa. Did you do anything around Okinawa at all? Yes. Uh, when we were first went over, uh, we went, uh, I don't know how close to Japan we were. Okinawa is a little bit on the south side of Japan, from our point of view. But uh, they're still fighting on Okinawa for the first time in '44. And then after I got out of the Merchant Marine, and I went, uh, in 1950, I went back into the Air Force for 10 years. And I was assigned to Okinawa again uh, to maintain the base at, at Naha, at the South End of the Island. Okay. And to uh, take care of the troops and the ground radius there. Okay. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. I do want to talk about the Aleutian Islands then, because that was at the end of World War II. Did I hear you correctly on that when you were at the Aleutian that, Islands? That, that's correct. Uh, before the war was ended, and they thought the uh, Russians were going to come across that little strip of land there, the Aleutians. Uh, so we were hauling American troops, soldier troops, from Seattle uh, to the Straits to the Aleutians. And interestingly enough, uh, Gordon Whitlow, I I don't think a lot of people realize that earlier in World War II that the Japanese had actually gotten onto American soil at the Aleutian Islands. And so we, we think a lot about the South Pacific when we think of the Pacific Theater. But in fact, there were uh, Japanese on... U.S. soil at that time, and of course there was a battle for the. Um, is, was it Atu? I can't re- quite remember, but um, in the Aleutian Islands, and uh, so then the concern was the Russians were coming over. Did did anything come of that regarding the Russians? Uh, the threat regarding the Aleutian Islands? To my knowledge, uh, I was too busy doing other things to, to think about what was going on there, okay. and of course we weren't invited. About anything that's going on, other than this one trip that we made uh, up to the Aleutians hauling these troops, uh, we had a scare one night that uh, the, our ship was being sailed by a submarine. And so we had to do a zigzag pattern, not a straight line from point A to point B. We had to do a zigzag pattern to avoid being sunk by a submarine. We were not fired on, and uh, the threat was there, but nothing ever came of that. Okay. And um, so we're getting near the end of the war. Where were you at when you heard that the war was over? Uh, I was in the South Pacific. I one ship uh, on the Avery that uh, I was on in South Pacific was the year, the duration of that trip of the year. 
Okay. In South Pacific, someplace I don't know where <laughs> we were at. Okay. Well, Gordon Whitlow. War you know what? We're going to go to break, and when we come back, uh, we'd like to hear about you coming home, and then also you went back into you went into the Air Force during the Korean War, and so we'd like to talk with you a little bit about that as well. So this is Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks World War II Project. We will be right back. Hey, welcome back to the AmeriChicks World War II Project with Kim Munson. Uh, Be sure and check out my website, AmeriChicks.com. All of these shows are archived there. You can actually copy the link and share that with friends and family. And I'm thrilled to have on the line with me Gordon Whitlow. He uh, was just 15 years old when he went into the Maritime Service, and uh, also known as the Merchant Marine, and was uh, transporting ammo and sometimes troops uh, in the South Pacific as well as up in the Aleutian Islands in Alaska. And uh, so, Gordon, your mom had three of the five boys served in uh, different uh, parts of World War II, and you all came home, right? You all survived? Yes. Ooh, we survived the war, yes. Okay. When you came home, what was your homecoming like? Very uneventful. Uneventful? Oh, how so? Um, you just came home and started life over? My life didn't change any. Uh, people around me hardly knew that I was gone, and it didn't make any difference to anybody. Uh, I was very much of a loner. Uh, I didn't rely on anyone else. Okay. I was living alone at an early age. So you've been... Uh, taught me to take care of yourself. Okay. Well, tell me a little bit. I'm intrigued a little bit about your life then. You're 90, 91 years old. Um, you eventually got married, yes? Yes, I got married in 1947. Okay. Uh, after I got back from the First Marine. Okay. And how many uh, children did you have? Excuse me? How many children do you have? Well, I had one child by my first marriage, and I had three other children after that. Okay. Not really the same one. Okay. Yeah, I happen to know one of your daughters. In fact, uh, she's married to my cousin. So that's how you and I got connected, which I'm really grateful uh, for that. So, uh, Gordon, you uh, you went back in in 1950. You went into the Air Force, and uh, that was when uh, we were in the Korean War. So what happened there? You're you're married, um, and you go back into the service. So tell us a little bit about that. I got married in 1947, and in 1948, uh, I was asked to leave the house. So I did. I went to California. And went to work in a plumbing industry with one of my half brothers. And I actually started my plumbing career. And I retained that career throughout my lifetime. I've had it probably like 70 years now. You know, plumbing, I think, is one of those um, careers that people always need to have. Good plumbing. I think there's a lot of uh, job security in in that. But in 1950, you went into the. Did, am I right? You went into the Air Force in 1950. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. So now that's different than the Merchant Marine. So what was your responsibilities there? When I was in California, in the Los Angeles area, I took my training examination for licensing in Los Angeles, 
which I passed. Yeah, my first plumbing license in 1948. Okay. And at 50, I moved back to Oregon to take care of my folks. And then they got a call for me, a selective service. I was going to be drafted into the Army. I didn't want to go in the Army, so I volunteered in the Air Force. Okay. And uh, by having a plumbing license established already in a trade, I, they put me in the maintenance department at the Air Force, and I retained that, that area. Okay, so did you ever go over to Korea, or was your responsibilities just in, in the stateside, in the United States? Well, I one of my first overseas assignments was at Okinawa, at Naha. I was there for a year and a half assigned to maintain the base there, water supply base. Uh, then I went to Scotland for three years. I was assigned there. And uh, as an officer between the Air Force and the Air Ministry, and I was in the contracting office there. As far as overseas goes, that's the extent of my overseas assignments. Okay. And, um, Gordon, as, as we think about, as you look back on World War II, what is some of the things that you'd like to say to the young people of today given your vast life experience? Well, my experiences in anything in life is to keep smiling and take the best of the worst and make the best out of it. There's always some bad in everything. There's always some good there, too. Life is what you make out of it. That's what it makes out of you. That's really good advice for our young people. Um Next question, the American flag. When you see the American flag, what do you what goes through your mind? Well, I am so glad that I'm under the American flag. I've been in other countries where I'm not under the American flag, and their life is hell. Just trying to exist from day to day. Real luxury here. Appreciate it and live it. Well, very good. And now tell us a little bit more then uh, of your career. You said that you, uh, after, uh, well, you got your plumbing license and that you had a plumbing career for 70 years. So did you uh, work for a company? Did you have your own business? Uh, what what was that like? Well, I worked with my brother, half-brother, in the Los Angeles area to begin with. And then I came back to Oregon and I went over for different companies, and then uh, in 1960, or thereabouts, I started my own business, got my plumbing license in Oregon, for the state of Oregon, and, and uh, I started my own business for 15 years. I was in the Oregon City area, and I went to crash out and... Uh, Went into the private industry. I had two mobile home parks at one place in Coos Bay. And then uh, after that, uh, I just had time to hang it up and sold my business out and went to work for someone else. So I put something all together. 
retired. You've retired, okay. And um, getting in here near the uh, in the end of the show, this is Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks talking with Gordon Whitlow, a uh, World War II veteran. As we look at America today, uh, when you w- look at the news, you know what what do you think about America today? Is there anything in particular advice that you would give, you know, give to give to us on what's going on? Well, I don't see that I really contributed anything of any value other than doing my job at a time of crisis. And uh, if you love what you're doing, do do what you love. It's uh, advice to the younger people is take life seriously and don't take anything for granted or try to take advantage of everything that's there for you. I think that's really good advice that uh, that you've given given us is uh, just doing our job, work hard, uh, you know, realize there's good and bad in everything to look for the good. And uh, Gordon Whitlow, it has just been a great honor to talk with you. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, thank you so much. And God bless you. And God bless America. Thank you very much. And I have a rest and I commend you for all of your efforts. And keeping this alive because somebody recognized as part of the service built long after the years of the war. You know, Gordon, I know that that is true. One of the uh, first World War II veterans that I interviewed was uh, Frank DeVita, and he was at D Day. He was um, uh, first wave of Omaha delivering the troops onto Omaha Beach. And he was part of the Merchant Marine as well. And so when I was at in Normandy, uh, I saw there's actually a beautiful statue to honor the Merchant Marine. And uh, I, it just kind of stopped me in my tracks. And then I also have a, a very good friend whose daughter is in the Merchant Marine. And uh, I think in a way you're right. It's kind of unsung heroes, uh, the people that made sure that uh, supplies were, were delivered where they needed to be delivered, uh, delivered uh, troops. And uh, so you guys were kind of the unsung heroes, but I really am grateful for what you did. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Okay. God bless America. God bless America. Thank you, Gordon Whitlow. You're welcome. Okay, bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the AmeriChicks World War II Project with Kim Munson. It is so important that we continue to learn these stories, hear these stories. And so be sure and check out my website, AmeriChicks.com. Everything is there, archived there, and sign up for my Uh, Email newsletters will keep you apprised of upcoming guests. And again, God bless you and God bless America. Join us next time for the World War II Project and your host, the AmeriChick, Kim Munson. Until then, keep saluting the greatest generation.